I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. Napa know-how. At Napa Auto Parts stores and Napa Auto Care centers, get a $25 prepaid Visa card when you get any Napa automotive battery. It's the best deal for some of the best batteries from some of the best car people around. But we might be a little partial. Anywho, pick up any Napa automotive battery and save 25 bucks. Do it yourself or have it done for you. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. At participating Napa Auto Parts stores and Napa Auto Care centers. While supplies last, offer ends 83120. Shop Black Friday week deals Sunday through Friday at Kohl's. Plus, get $15 Kohl's cash for every $50 spent. And take an extra 15% off. Get the big one throws, $8.49. Toastmaster small appliances are just $2.14 after rebate. And Fitbit Versa 2 is $129.99. Plus, take 30% off Lego, 70% off fine jewelry, and save on boots for her, $16.99. Plus, get fast and free store pickup. Shop Black Friday week deals at Kohl's and Kohl's.com. Select styles. Office valid November 22nd through the 27th. 15% off with promo code ENJOY15. Lego and Fitbit offers and coupons do not apply. Some exclusions apply. See store or Kohl's.com for details. for a brand new exclusive Collider interview. This is for a movie that I'm really excited about. You both know I loved this at Sundance 2019. We spoke a little there, but I'm very happy right now to reconnect with Hannah Pearl Ott and Jen Tullock of Before You Know It. Hi! Hi! (laughs) I have so many questions about just the journey from Sundance to where you guys are right now, but I was reading the new press notes, and there's a little bit in it that says that when you two first met, you didn't really, I don't know, get along is the right term, but (laughs) after seeing this movie and just talking to you guys, it shocks me that there was any point in your lives where that was the case. So can you tell me about meeting for the first time? In the press notes. Yeah, we made sure. Just so everyone knows. We, you know what? It was just a comedy of errors is all it was. We met when we were very young in Brooklyn and we 
were at a party, and Hannah thought that I was making eyes at her friend's boyfriend. She didn't know that I was a raging homo, and uh, which would have cleared things up immediately. I'm pretty sure you were in like a sep- You were in like a bedroom in the apartment. We were with rehearsing. Him. They were rehearsing. They were in a band together. Um, <laughs> and I had less of an issue with her flirting with someone who was taken by my friend. And more of an issue with how disgusting I found him to be. <laughs> I'm almost certain he will at some point hear one of these interviews. I don't care. <laughs> cool. <laughs> anyway, once we had established that that was, in fact, not what was happening, then we got to talking and realized that we had similar sensibilities and that yeah. I wanted to borrow a lot of her clothes. <laughs> yeah. I feel and like borrowing continued. clothes is usually the key. This sweatshirt is not mine. Um, <laughs> These pants are mine. If you knew how much clothing I have from my poor sister who is in New York and has no chance of getting it back right now, it's a problem. <laughs> she might hate me for it. Um, what would you say out there to somebody who is a budding filmmaker and dreams of finding a close collaborator? Because going to film school, that was one thing that I really wanted and I thought it was never going to happen. And then, luck of the draw, it, it was. I did. I found that person and it's a special thing. So what would you say to someone who is concerned they might not find that? It's okay if you don't find it. You can find it within yourself. Um, But my advice would be to stay open to people. Um, Give them a second chance. If at first you don't connect, try, try, try again. And also Um, don't be married to one hard version of a collaboration. I mean, ours has evolved so much over the years that it was one thing six years ago and is now a very different thing. But the bottom line is we trust each other and want each other's opinions on things. And sometimes that's as far as it goes and sometimes it's a little more literal. But I think working with people that understand your essence that you'd want to be in the foxhole with, I I think that's the most important thing. It's the same as finding a romantic partner. Yeah. Find someone who communicates the same way that you do. When you're crewing up a project, is it ever the the idea that, you know, I'm just hiring someone to fill a position? Or is an interview for you guys more like finding someone that kind of fits that family, too? Yeah, it's it's never just – well, unless we're in a super bind or we have to pick someone that the union gives us. Um <laughs> We have to pick them. I pick you, the only person I'm allowed Number to hire. Number 43. Um, <laughs> but no, every every meeting with um, every piece of production, I tried to meet with as many of those people as possible, although I left the um, hiring of certain roles to department heads, and so making sure that me and my department heads were on the same page was very important. Um, but yeah, it's about finding people. It's all about communication style for me, like can we understand each other? Mm. Um, do we see this story in a similar enough way um, as a kind of baseline? But then are we able to talk our way through the where we may differ on that? Makes sense. Um, yeah. Did you guys always want to get into filmmaking, storytelling, performing? Or was there ever a point in your lives where you said, I want to grow up and be like, I don't know, a doctor or a lawyer or something like that? I didn't. I didn't ever. <laughs> I wanted to be in our... Uh, visual artist for a while and there was a a year or two where i wanted to be an entomologist um and i did dabble in painting when i was in can't imagine school. i did dabble, dabble in painting but was made quickly apparent to me that i was incredibly bad at it so i think i also like the idea of teaching for a while i thought i might go into academia um but that's just part of the school that i went to 
they just lead you to believe that every thought you have is really worthwhile. Oh. Um. Until, I mean, similarly, until I left the evangelical church, I thought I was going to be a biblical scholar for a while. But those were like teenage aspirations that I thought, I thought, well, if I can't make it as an actor and a writer, then I'll try something just as easy, which is to be a theologian. Yeah, of course. Um, and so, and I thought that I would be a comparative religion um, professor. That's right. <laughs> so we've, we've sort of been pinging around the same delusion. Oh yeah, this this all makes a lot of sense. <laughs> it, it puts into perspective my uh, my second major in Hebrew and Judaic studies that completely went out the window, and I remember nothing about that. But we could. I bet you're fun at a party. I. You know, I don't know if the You'd two are con- the party. two are connected, but I'm definitely fun, at, fun a at a party. <laughs> bet you're fun on birthright. I ne- I never went on birthright, and it is one of the biggest regrets of my life. Like, did you miss your window? I, yeah. I missed the window, but it was also because, you know, I, I was always working and I always wanted to do something else. And it never really – I never had that free block of time that aligned with that trip. you got to stop and live your life a little. Sometimes. I feel like I live my <laughs> no. life vicariously through movies right now, which isn't the worst thing because we were talking before. So you get to travel all over the place. I mean you I'll already you made a right. movie about sisters who live together in New York City. I feel like you ticked that box for me already. <laughs> <laughs> I was also reading in the notes that you went through a whole bunch of drafts with this script. So I'm curious what is the biggest difference between draft one and the final product wow um i think it's the biggest difference between who we were uh then and who we are now um which is i think we have a level of um self-awareness and emotional intelligence that um we were just beginning to develop when we started working on the script but really thought we had at that time right (laughs) I think perhaps uh, a bigger difference is the fact that we thought we had it then and didn't, and hopefully have a little bit now and definitely don't think that we do. That's right. Although I think that's just the 20s through the 30s. And then specifically, I would say um, it just got more honest. Yeah, it was more of a a farce um, and less personal Hmm. before. I I was kind of surprised. It's just I vividly remember my first viewing, and it was a communal viewing, so it was a very loud reaction in that theater. People were laughing at all the right moments and just re-watching it. I don't know. I guess I just didn't realize the first time around how powerful the drama is in it, and it, it works nice. exceptionally nice. well. Thanks. Um, you guys went through the Sundance Lab with this one. How do you get started with that kind of process? Because we do have a lot of uh, viewers and listeners who really want to make movies, and that seems like an excellent avenue for someone to get a feature off the ground. Yeah, the labs are wonderful. Mm-hmm. Um, I, it's yeah, it's always funny recommending them because you're like, you, you've got to go to Juilliard. It's the best. <laughs> um, you've got to study at NASA. Honestly, just the most fantastic. And now we've compared it to Juilliard and NASA. I gotta go. Yeah. Hey, um, NASA's got a big, big place back. in my heart. No, we <laughs> lucked. Too. We lucked out. A lot of a lot of um, getting into the lab has to do with timing, and we d- didn't get in the first time. We Correct. we were rejected um, for the screenwriters lab, and then separately for other for the, labs for the episodic lab. Um, <laughs> and our producer Mallory Schwartz. Um, applied with the same script that we had applied with months later and done a lot of work on um, to the creative producing labs. But that was after we had a short in the festival. So that was after we wrote and produced and were in a short film called Partners. Um, And they do a really good job of tracking people who go through the festival. Um, And also when you apply, they really, they keep track of um, repeat appliers. (laughs) 
Um, persistence counts. Repeat offenders. They're like, okay, so you're... Sorry, Sundance. Persistence and ambition. It's all good things. But they're, you know, they're very thoughtful in the selection process, and it's really about curating a group for that year based on previous years and um, and who might fit well together, and they're tiny groups. Mm-hmm. So my biggest piece of advice is don't be discouraged if you get rejected. Um, just keep working on on whatever you applied with and other stuff, and if the timing feels right, apply again. So which lab did you wind up getting into with this project? So the first one was the Creative Producers Lab. Gotcha. Then they put me through a mini workshop in L.A. for directing. Mm. Um, And after that workshop, I asked to be considered for the um, directing lab, which is invite only. Oh, wow. Um, They invite you to apply to it. So I invited them to consider (laughs) To invite her. Um, (laughs) Right. I invited them to invite me to apply. Um, And then we did that... And Jen came out to act in the scenes. Um, So that was the first week where we also met Judith. And then the last week is the Screenwriters Lab, which we did together. Um, So we wound up up doing all of them, but we did them sort of backwards. Mm -hmm. We kind of weaseled our way in there. As long as it comes out with a finished film. I was film. a stowaway, in <laughs> essence, for the first week. <laughs> so you get into a lab. Does the lab come with the likelihood of a green light happening, or is that something that has to manifest along the way? It definitely it helps. Um, I think, yeah, it helps legitimize the project for sure. And Sundance has their own pool of investors that they've been cultivating for programs like Catalyst, which we also went through um, which is a creative financing forum. Mm. Catalyst Women, which was... Right, Catalyst yeah, Women. It was cool. the first year that they did it just for female-led projects. I just like the sound of creative financing. Financing is always the thing that stresses me out the most. The second you put creative at the beginning of it, then I'm a little more intrigued. Yeah, the whole idea is that it, it is a give and take and that um, you're looking for collaborators in your financiers and your financiers are looking for... Um, they need to know what they're looking for in terms of um, what they want to get out of their investment because it's independent film and um, you aren't oftentimes doing it to make a ton of money, so you must be doing it for other reasons as well. And so it's about identifying those reasons and making sure that they're aligned with the filmmaker's um, intent for the film. What about the idea of making this in New York? Because having lived in New York, I was just walking around all the time saying, I'm never going to move to L.A. I love it here. There's a huge industry here. But then I was encouraged over and over again to move out here. And I am happy out here, but I am always looking for a reason to go back and highlight the film industry there. So did you ever consider making movies out here more so? I mean, I know you were saying you're out here now. Yeah, we both live here now, so, ah. and, we, and we've lived here for uh, a while, but we met in New York and both lived there for a long time. Okay. And so not only was the conception of this story in New York, but I think uh, the version of ourselves that we were when we started working on it is, is very much left, the ghost of that is left in New York. And it's a movie about New York. I mean, it's it's very much about a family that's still living in this Petri dish of... Um, old timey, mm-hmm. you know, theater and Hollywood and and music, uh, because the father won't allow them to step beyond it, and that, that felt like an inherently New York uh, climate. So, when did you guys make the move out here? You met in New York. Did you make a couple projects in New York before going to LA? Not together. No. Um, 
No, right? Did no. we work together? I made my first um, short film in New York that I wrote and was in, and my friend directed. And I did the same. I did a short that I was wrote and was in. And then that's when we started working on the script for this. Then I moved back to L.A. because I had done my first couple years of school out here. And at that point, it was kind of like any time one of us was on the other person's coast, we would <laughs> dive back into the script and do another reading. That was like, we're d- this is just the last reading we're doing before we make the movie. Um, <laughs> that was Next week. Eight years ago. Um, and then uh, we continued to work on our own projects in New York and L.A. and got into commercials, which is how we survived financially. Financially. Um, and also how I financed my short films, basically how I created a, a f- miniature film school. Um and then we made partners, and that was the first thing we actually filmed together because hmm. um, we wanted to see what it was like to act together. And we loved it so much that we took the chemistry we found between those characters and um, created a series called Disengaged with Super Deluxe, which unfortunately is not on the Internet because the company went under, and so we <gasps> and don't know. so did the links. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no. But we're hoping to have them back up on another platform soon so people can see. You can watch the pilot currently. Okay. Yeah. The pilot. Um, which would be a fun teaser. Although, are the views still up there? It got over a million views. But I don't know if you can see that anymore. And a lot of comments about my hair, as I recall. That's not true. And <laughs> but you'll never know because it's been taken down. It did have a lot of actually really, well, whatever. We play a couple in the series. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Um, you haven't experienced rampant homophobia until you've gone into the YouTube comments on a on a, on a queer love story. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, when you're on our channel, I don't want to tell you about the comment section, but it happens everywhere. And it's just about, you know, making sure you're sending the right message no matter what the reaction is. And hopefully sure. everybody's open to everything out yes. there. Um uh, Going back to uh, what you guys said about just uh, what happened with the distribution with that project, did that influence how you handle or look at some sort of distribution opportunity for a movie like this, especially coming out of uh, a festival like Sundance? You know, what were your expectations going into that premiere? And then were those expectations met when you walked away? Hmm. That's a cool question. question. I think, I mean, we had a much different experience just by virtue of our connection to the film, I my expectations, I, I think, were more abstract. I was just excited that people were going to see it yeah. and was trying not to think beyond that. I think Hannah was required to have a bit more foresight because she directed the film. But I, I think as far as our collective energy at that time, it was like, we're so happy we made it. We're so happy people are going to see it. It's amazing where it's on dance. Let's see. And yeah. Then, I think we both tried to really... Temper our expectations. expectations. <laughs> um, I didn't anticipate it being such a long process. The, we wrapped the movie, and maybe maybe this won't sound long at all, but we wrapped the movie um, a year ago yesterday. Mm-hmm. And it's just now coming out um, in uh, 10, 10 I don't know what the, the date 30th. is. The 30th. It comes out the 30th. Um, and... And I've been, we've been doing festivals all summer, and so I've been going to these different cities trying to spread word of mouth and um, establish a base all over because it's going to be in a hundred theaters, which is something I definitely didn't anticipate. Mm -hmm. Um, But now 
at the end of all of that, at the end of eight months of traveling with the movie, it feels like the real work of promoting it is just starting. <laughs> um, and that's hilarious. That's insane. But, but hey, that's that's the deal. And we're so that's lucky showbiz, we baby. get it to is. promote it. Um, yeah. So, yeah, the expectations were um, exceeded definitely by the the theater count that we have and the fact that we have a theatrical release. And our distributors have been really collaborative and wonderful. Um, and we've heard horror stories about people with their distributors, so we were coming into it with a lot of anxiety, and um, they've been great. I've heard many of those, and also just with the changing landscape now, I am just, like, sometimes I lose sleep over the idea of certain movies not getting theatrical releases anymore, and it's not to knock streaming services. They get movies in front of more eyes than they might have before, but I just never want to see that window close too much for smaller independent fare, and I, I fear that being the future. Yeah. Well, it felt right for this particular film, too. I mean, it would always be exciting. For one thing, I, I think in many regards, we're, we're a couple of Luddites. So the idea of being like, we must physically go to the theater. But also this film, um, I think, does does beat to, its heart beats to a rhythm that is very old school New York and feels very see the movie in the theater with popcorn. And, and it's a, I think it's like, I think it's good for different generations and I think it could be a nice opportunity to um, hang with your, you know, the young folk hanging with the older folk. I think it's a it's a real say. To me, it feels like a community-building movie. I can feel that. Um, I think it comes through with the, the core location on its own. It's just like the theater-house combo has, has mm-hmm. like a texture to it that you could feel. Yeah. Yeah, people needing people. Yeah. People, leave it alone. <laughs> <laughs> I also wanted to ask you guys about the title of the movie, because that was another thing that I read, that the title changed. I'm always fascinated about finding out how someone landed on a particular title, especially something like Before You Know It. Was the Stupid Happy? That Was that on the yeah. table at one point? It was called Stupid Happy for a long time. Yeah, which we maintain. It's a great title. Um, it just no longer suited the movie, and we couldn't. When we thought about being asked why Stupid Happy, we couldn't come up with anything better than, well, it's always been called Stupid Happy. Um, And so we wanted something a little more tonally appropriate. And before you know it, we came up with very – we were in a bit of a bind. We had to give them a title. And a rapid-fire text exchange with our producers while we were going to the festival. Yeah, we were packing for Sundance. Um, Oh, wow. No, that's not true. We were going somewhere else. press release was about to come out. That's right, that's right. Um, and so we, we had to get them the title and we picked a B by accident, but it did put us at the top of the press release, which was awesome. (laughs) That's not the first time I Uh, heard that. (laughs) It is a double entendre because it's a line from the film. Um, Mike Coulter's character, Mike says it when he's referencing, repressing a feeling, um, as opposed to addressing it. And what happens is before you know it, you know, it'll fester, but also it's literally what happened before. Rachel and Jackie knew knew their mother was alive. It's true. Yeah. Yeah, we felt like it encapsulated all of the characters' journey with um, communication and honesty. I think that's a reasonable uh, 
reason to go with that title. Next time we're picking an A, though. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've heard that many a times before, whether it's uh, it being at the top of the Sundance list or even once a movie goes to VOD and you search the all-film menu, yeah. it's listed so alphabetically. I wish I didn't know it. I wish I could unknow it, but it's in there now. I'm going to name every project I make henceforth Anastasia. I don't care what it's about. Or you need to go with digits for no reason at all. Just put like a zero at the beginning. Nice. Binary. Just binary. I've thought about that way too much. Um, how has your collaboration developed over the years, especially from first project to now? Writer, director, star, writer, star. But are you collaborating a lot while you're actually shooting the film, too? Yeah, we do collaborate while we're shooting. Um, it's nebulous, but in a way that's also really lived in. I mean, I think trying to explain it to people probably sounds way more abstract than it is. But because we figured out what worked for us over the course of a decade, it was never the same two things on any given day. I think it was about five years. When we made this short, that's when we realized Hannah's trajectory was going to be to direct, and more importantly, that she she was going to be directing this film. And that at that point, that informed the way we continued to write. So we had written uh, in a way that was more looked a lot more like volleying the work before she'd write, I'd edit, and vice versa. And then once we realized she was going to be at the helm of the film itself, it became easier to just let her take first passes and start to structure a story, and then I would come and punch in, which isn't necessarily how we both work in other collaborations, but it's just been what works for us. Um, and, and then on set, we're flexible. If it's something, um, if it feels like something isn't working, I'll... Jen's the first person I turn to um, to be like, we, we got we to gotta figure this out. Yeah. yeah. Hit me. <laughs> um. When you're working with uh, some producers, is there ever a scenario on this where someone raises a red flag, whether it's in the script stage where it could be a concern or if you want to be a little more fluid with something on set and change something on the spot where someone's like, no, don't do that. It, it, we can't accommodate it. <laughs> Not with this one. Our producers were so lovely. Um, Mallory Schwartz started working with us four years ago, five years ago. And so she's she's been there for every iteration of this movie and our relationship and our personal development. Um, I and, was going to say she's become like our child, but she's really become our mother. Yeah. She's younger than us. Uh, so she she knows. I mean, she she knows what my priorities are. So the only time I ever got pushback was if... Um, if she felt she needed to remind me of a priority that I had stated that it seemed like I was forgetting, Hmm. Um, which rarely happened because I don't forget my priorities. (laughs) Um, But, you know, it would be like you had said that this was important to you. If we if you want to go again on this or you want to try it a totally different way, it's going to eat into this scene that you really wanted to reserve these hours for. Um, And that was that was the way of of working that we established early on. And it was the same with my line producer. It was always like, I can give you that. This is what it will cost you in these other things that you've already told me are important. What were some of the scenes that you prioritized? I mean, even, I don't want to spoil anything for anybody, but the ones that come to mind from the beginning, you know, the the oneer in the house, the tracking shot. I love the scene with Mandy's speech. Yeah. I think that's one of the funniest things in the movie. Is there any particular scene that you said to yourself, this is where we should prioritize our schedule? Well, the, the opening shot, um, we really worked to carve out the right amount of time because it was the end of a very long day. I think it was our only day of exteriors with the theater. And we had shut down 13th Street. Right. Um, 
so that was stressful. And um, we lay the track. We also had to make adjustments just for budgetary reasons because I, I wanted a really big sh- – I wanted the opening shot to say, like, this is a big this is a big movie. Um, so in my mind, it was a crane shot. And then, you know, I talked to my line producer, and she was like, that's not the budget <laughs> we have. Although she did everything to make it work. Anyway, so we, we lay the 100 feet of track. My DP is so giddy. Um, He's lighting the street. He's got this condor down the street. Um, And they turn the light on, and, like, five minutes later, the cops show up because um, we're keeping everybody in the other building awake. And so we have to spend another hour flagging the light, and then he has to adjust all of the lighting on the street um, because we had all these plant lights and all this... And by the time we actually started shooting that scene, which is um, – I wanted it to be a winner, but I'm not insane. I, I think we talked about this. I also wanted there to be coverage um, just in case. <laughs> um, threw that out. It was – I was like, this is a winner, and we're going to get it in two takes because that is what we have time for. <laughs> it's a winner and a good winner that establishes <laughs> the atmosphere of New York City. I love it. I happen to be – on set still that day, I think out of nerves. I don't know if you had asked me to be or if I just told you I was going to be, but I was like, I'm going to stay. And I was with the producers in Village just like sweating, sweating with the cans on. I was just like, they got it, they got it. They got it. <laughs> well, because it was, it was going to be the walk in a winter, and then once we got to our positions, um, we were going to get close-ups just, you know, in case. But who wants a close-up? <laughs> Not me. Out of these two mugs. Um, That's when you get some of the best stuff, though. It's like that that happy magic that comes out of, you know, being restricted with your budget and your time and everything. Yeah, holding holding your breath. Yeah, it was funny. The things that we planned for, the scenes I anticipated um, requiring extra care, tended to actually be the easiest when it came down to shooting them. Um, and if anything, it was just the the anxiety of the preparation that made them take longer. So that's a lesson I'll take away. What are your onset vices? Like if you have anxiety or need to like chill out or just need energy, is it, I don't Diet know, Coke. coffee? Diet yeah. Coke. I, I always say it's D- I only drink D.C. on set, but I'll say it's D.C. I was hiding them for a while because I'm so embarrassed because they're terrible for you. We they're- do that in the office, but not because I'm embarrassed, but because if I buy them and I put them here, I someone, someone else will drink them. <laughs> there was a point at which we had Sophia, who's a dear friend of ours, who Hannah had work as her assistant so we could have her there. Um, at one point was dutifully buying me secret Diet Dr. Peppers and bringing them to me in paper bags as if they were like malt <laughs> liquor because I was like just keep them in the bag and put a straw in them. People would be like what are you drinking? And I'm like green tea. I, can't, I have to have it. I love a fizzy. I love a caffeinated fizzy when I'm on set. That's my vice. And some yes. We'll leave it at that. I feel like it makes it better calling it a caffeinated fizzy. From now on I'm not going to use Diet Coke. I'm just going to repeat that. Yeah. Uppy fizzy. <laughs> I think I'm I'm just like generally consumptive. Like I have I, I have no idea what I eat yeah, or drink on set. Like, like snap peas and like pieces of vegan cheese. <laughs> or whatever You're not eating Doritos with was the rest in Sophia's of us. hand. Yeah, that's true. I yeah, I basically just ate whatever was in Sophia's hand. <laughs> we also had Hannah. Uh, I was very proud of this. She made sure our set was as green as possible, and that meant trying to eradicate water bottles, which is a problem on a lot of sets. You know, you've got like thousands of these tiny plastic water bottles. So wasteful. So many. But we had gotten all of the cast and crew these 
small uh, like roll deflatable up. roll up water water bottle space bags. They look like coloscopy. Colostomy. Colostomy. There, there it is. Colostomy <laughs> bags um, with a carabiner. But the problem is they hold about a thimble of water. So what you ended up seeing was like all of us running back and forth between these water jugs, like, just got to fill it up again. <laughs> That's a pretty good uh, onset gift to give to make sure everybody, like, I think I did a water bottle one year and yeah. it was like one of the smarter moves. It's nice. And then if you actually hang on to it and don't lose it on set, you have it's a good little marketing. souvenir. Yeah, and then people right. walk around with it. Although the hats that we made everyone that said stupid happy. Uh, <laughs> well, now it's a collector's thin. item. That's you should right. put them all on eBay. <laughs> they were also more red than we anticipated. And they looked like... Oh. They okay. kind of looked like hats. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> They're yeah. meant to be like a rich fuchsia, like a pink almost. And uh, every a dusty time I rose. Well, at least it was just two words. But one of our friends who's in the cast, Alexander Schwartz, made us a couple of ones with the correct title very sweetly. And now that it's even more text, it looks even more like Make America Great Again because <laughs> it is before you know it. And I tried to wear it out on a hike the other day, and I kept getting looks. And I was like, I must be uh, glowing today. And I realized it's because people thought I was in a Trump hat. All right. Uh, yeah, I think I received <laughs> a, a, an unnamed movie sent me a bright red hat semi-recently. And... Not wearing that hat. No, <laughs> you mustn't. Yeah. Um, before we have to wind this down, I want to make sure our viewers get to know you guys a little bit. So just a bunch of random questions. Woo! I don't have my list here, but I'm just going to pull out the ones okay. I remember right now. First off, what are you watching right now? It could be anything. A, a new movie, a new TV show, something mm-hmm. you're catching up on, anything at all. I'll go fast. I, years yeah, and years. Mm-hmm. I love Euphoria. Yes. Uh I'm pro-euphoria, very much so. <laughs> I know it's a polarizing show, but I think it's brilliant and beautiful. And uh, I just re-watched Border, which is my favorite film of the last three years. Good call. I also love Border. I just saw it for the first time. Um, the new season of Fleabag is <laughs> everything. Um, new season of Killing Eve. We just started watching the new season of Mindhunter. Um, I can't wait. I, you know, I love it. I just love it. Uh, and I've been watching a lot of older movies, a lot of classics that I have never seen, and um, a lot of rom-coms, because I'm writing one right now for Miss Janifewer. I uh, like the sound of that. <laughs> if, I like it. I have a little love in my life, one of these flicks. If you guys had to get a movie-related tattoo, what would it be and why? Oh. Do you know? Go ahead. I do. I, I lo- Hedwig and the Angry Ranch was super meaningful to me when I was a teenager, I was like figuring out that I was queer and the art in it is I think really beautiful and unfortunately it turned into a a tattoo that a lot of young queer theater nerds got but it's beautiful it's just a face and I've almost gotten it many times while drunk Um, but I think I probably would but I also have a neck so Funny Girls the movie that changed my life I love Robert Streisand and I have a gold necklace that says bagel instead of a name and so I had always, I'd always thought about. I have some stick and poke tattoos that say things. I thought about oh. getting bagel for for Fanny Bryce slash Barbara oh. Streisand, maybe on the other arm. What were yours? That's a good one. Mine would probably just be text. It would probably say like, uh, "Don't cut. Let's go again right away." <laughs> Very appropriate for the path you're on right now. <laughs> Do either of you have any pets? No. No. <gasps> no. No. We travel too much. That's understandable. It's hard. Yeah. I'm, I, I, I got can't. some pet peeves. <laughs> <laughs> what 
what are your pet peeves? You just play right into it. I don't know why I've turned into Ernest Borgnine today. I'm really loopy. I'm sorry. Well, now I want to know what's your pet peeve. I actually don't. Do you have an Do you have an onset? Do you have an onset pet peeve? Something where if it happens, it gets under your skin quicker yes. than other things? As an actor, I do, and it's something she never does, which is why I love working with her, which is she never – I mean, within reason, of course, if it's a long day and you're worried about time, you have to stop people. But uh, when directors cut off an improv to offer their own funny line, oh. whoo, that is a spicy no-no for me. I cannot – I will completely – you won't see it on my face, but internally I will completely take any ounce of respect I had for you and blow it into the wind. Understandable. Yeah. This is really specific to one person that I worked with. Ooh, I wonder if I can guess who it is. But my pet peeve became um, confusing treating the actors well and with respect with um, crossing – um, firm boundaries. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, like asking, um, asking the act. Oh, you know what? I can't do it without adding them. Um, yeah. Yep. <laughs> That's it. Got the gist of what you're getting at, but probably better better off not sharing details. Yeah. <laughs> I also when I when I got in the chair in the morning, um, any kind of like. Small talk wound up being very difficult for me because I would be getting into hair and makeup, and it seemed like I was just getting into hair and makeup. And for any other person getting into hair and makeup, it would have been fine. But I was like going over the shot list in my mind, um, trying to take a moment of not speaking before the day of speaking constantly <laughs> began. Um, so that became a peeve. But. I've actually never pictured that for someone who is both uh, acting in a movie and directing it. That makes a lot of sense. I'm surprised I haven't thought about that before. It's a bummer. Yeah, and it wound up becoming like a peeve with myself also because I was like, why can't I just multitask better? Why can't I just hear about your day right now? And to wrap up right now, I love ending on this question because it makes me happy. What is one thing happening in the industry or one individual that you think is changing it for the better? Phoebe Waller-Bridge. Yes. I agree with that. It's a good answer. I'm so happy she's in the world. It makes me emotional. I feel like the the good guys are winning when I see the work that she's making. I shouldn't say guy. I shouldn't gender it. The good people. Because uh, I, yeah, I know that would probably be the response from a lot of like-minded people, and I think that's great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. Yeah. I agree with that. I agree. I, I agree also with. <laughs> and in addition to. I think uh, the work that Luca Guadagno is doing is um, is changing the landscape in a way that I really appreciate. I wholeheartedly agree with that one as well. Call Me By Your Name was my number one of 2017. Thank you. And Suspiria was one heck of a ride recently. Oh, my God. I love Suspiria. What a turn on, right? <laughs> I I just can't, I can't believe so I, I don't call necessarily call it a turn on, but it's just like between we, we also have a horror podcast here called The Witching Hour. And just between the the witchy danciness of that movie and then if you ever go see Climax, oh, my, those two movies just like still have my head spinning. Highly I recommend it. recently that I, my, my response to that question is typically Yorgos Lantimos because I think and Ruben Ostrand because I think they're our two probably greatest living filmmakers. But um, other than Hannah. And somebody was like, they're both men. And I said, yes, they are. You're correct. They are both men. And I hope that uh, my answer to that and that and those genres is not the same very soon. So could you hurry up, please? 
Yes, just make eight more movies. Yeah, I'm working. I'm Can working you please make a horror movie? Would you ever? I would love to. You would okay, that's right movie. up my alley. So yeah, that with the right me. I don't know that I. I don't know that I would write a horror movie very well, but I would be very interested in directing someone else's well-written horror movie. So if you okay. if you have any. Well, funny you should say that. I'll tell you about this later, but we have to wrap up this conversation. So I want to say thank you so much for coming in today. It was so nice to talk again again. about this movie. Guys, before you know it, in theaters, 100 theaters specifically, that's something else. August 30th, do check it out. Trust me, you are going to enjoy it. Is there anywhere on the internet our viewers can find you, social media, websites, anything like that? We're both on Instagram. That's my my primary platform. Mm -hmm. The movie has a website now. Yes, before you know it. Movie. You know what? Just Google before you know it. Hannah Pearl Ut. How about that? Or yes. Sundance. But if you want to get in touch with us directly, Instagram. We're on Instagram. Message. And before you know it is also on Instagram. If you look up before you know it, film on Instagram. Cool. Yeah. Get on that, guys. Go check it out. Also, do not forget to like and share this video or the podcast wherever you are listening or watching. And stay tuned because we're gonna have more interviews for you real soon. Napa know how. Get all the quality parts you need at your locally owned Napa. Because right now, when you order from Napa online, you can pick up curbside at your local store in just 30 minutes. Or get your order delivered direct to your door with free one-day shipping and over 160,000 quality parts when you spend $35 or more. Quality parts delivered quickly and safely. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. At participating stores, standard ground shipping and exclusions apply. Shop Black Friday week deals Sunday through Friday at Kohl's. Plus, get $15 Kohl's cash for every $50 spent. And take an extra 15% off. Get the big one throws, $8.49. Toastmaster small appliances are just $2.14 after rebate. And Fitbit Versa 2 is $129.99. Plus, take 30% off Lego, 70% off fine jewelry, and save on boots for her, $16.99. Plus, get fast and free store pickup. Shop Black Friday week deals at Kohl's and Kohl's.com. Select styles. Offers valid November 22nd through the 27th. 15% off with promo code Enjoy15. Lego and Fitbit offers and coupons do not apply. Some exclusions apply. See store or Kohl's.com for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.